All right. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Voyages of the Black Dog podcast. This is our third podcast relating to our Charleston to uh, Cape Charles, uh, Virginia trip in the Chesapeake Bay. Arr. All right. Yeah. So uh, we're actually having a little bit of a celebration here because we just passed our mark for Cape Hatteras. It's, we're into new ground, and uh, exactly, we're having a celebratory. What the hell are we drinking? Scotch. Scotch. Well, no, I knew that, <laughs> but what? What type? Um, Clyde, Clyde, Clyde Forth, Clyde Forth, Clyde Forth, something. Yeah. Like we'll we'll edit that in at a later. Yeah, yeah. We'll Clyde Forth, twelve year old. <laughs> yeah. But um, so anyway, uh, when I asked Bob, I uh, so, uh, Bob, we got underway at about nine nine fifteen a.m. Uh, Sunday morning. Yes. So, uh, want to give us a rundown of the first day? Uh, don't no. know the first day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think where we left off last time. Uh, we had we had talked about coming out of Charleston, hadn't we? Yeah, well, we, we talked, so, you know, in our last episode, we really talked about what we planned to do in terms of coming out of Charleston, hugging the coast, and then going out around oh, okay. Cape Fear. Okay. Yeah, so we pretty much stayed with plan. We came out of, of Charleston through the jetties and turned to the north uh, at about 10.45, on Friday, sorry, su Sunday morning, and we followed the coast up for about, I don't know, roughly 75, 100 miles, uh, and then headed headed out around Frying Pan Shoal. At one point, we were doing a lot of motoring because of the wind direction right on our nose, and for about, I think about 12, 14 hours, and we were concerned about our fuel consumption especially as the predicted winds for the following day on Monday were to be light. We anticipated that we would be motoring for over 24 hours. Our concern was that we didn't want to be heading past Moorhead City, Beaufort, North Carolina without adequate supply of fuel uh, because there's really nowhere else to, to get fuel between Moorhead City and, and the, the mouth of the Chesapeake. But fortunately, the wind on that following Monday was good, and it uh, came around to the north, which was a little un unexpected. So best sailing angle was more to the east, which took us around Cape Fear rather than uh, shortcuts through the uh, slough. Uh, and we felt very comfortable that we wouldn't have to stop at Moorhead City for fuel, which so far has, has panned out very well, which is good things we passed it already. Uh, we've only used the motor about for an hour and 20 minutes this morning, and today is Tuesday morning. So did you motor because afternoon. of lack of wind or to charge the battery? Well, it was, it was a little bit of both. We had a lack of wind, but we needed to charge the batteries after having run everything for about 20 hours without any charge. And it's very right. difficult to know right. just exactly how much you've consumed and how quickly they will charge. Right. Now, I know you've added some new things to the Black Dog. What is sort of everything now that's draining the battery? Well, we've got instrument package of uh, the AIS, which is the automatic identification system, the chart plotter, uh, two Garmin new instruments, uh, and our old uh, Horizon depth instrument. And then, of course, we run the auto helm, which is the steerage. Uh, we've, we're running some lights down below, our navigation lights up on, on deck. And then intermittently, the bilge pump will keep water water out of the bilge. So it's a fair amount of consumption, but fortunately, 
the lights that we leave on down below in the cabin are LEDs and they don't use very much power at all. And this morning when we when we charged, uh, we were drawing off of the engine alternator about 50 amps for about an hour, so that really gave us a good boost. And we've been using about uh, about six amp hours, so that gave us about a 10 hour supply right there, and we ran it a little bit longer. Um, but we could see that the the power was dropping dropping down on the on the demand, so we felt comfortable. We got the batteries probably at least 80 percent full not a little bit more. And today we've been sailing uh, northeast, north-northeast, and at three o'clock we got off of Cape Hatteras, as Jay mentioned earlier. And currently, uh, as we round Cape Hatteras, the coast bears off to the west. The Gulf Stream stays in a northeasterly direction. I believe we're still in it, but I don't anticipate we'll be in it for more than about another hour. And then we'll be skirting up the the North Carolina coast, the west, the northern part of it, about 125 nautical miles to the mouth of uh, Chesapeake Bay. So that's about at five knots. That will be 24 hours. So we anticipate that we'll be going uh, under the Chesapeake Bay Bridge or over the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel. Uh, tomorrow afternoon about this time, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Outstanding. Now this will be our third night at sea. So uh, Bill, you want to talk a little bit about how we're running the watches at night? All right, instead of, uh, we decided we'd do uh, four hour watches, um, two people in the cockpit at the same time, but we wanted to, we're, we're staggering those shifts. So every two hours, uh, someone comes up on deck and uh, the other person gets to go below. And that way we have a little bit fresher person at all times. And it's up to the people during the watch to decide who's gonna be on the helm and who is standby. But I think it works better that way. That way we're not relieving. There's more continuity in the crew because someone is overlapping shifts. So we know about uh, boat changes. We know about uh, wind changes, we know about direction changes, so I think it's uh, I think it's a little better system than fully changing out the crews on four-hour increments. And Matt, uh, so how are things working for you on this cruise so far? I mean, we just made you a waffler. That would be sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, oh, it is. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's what I've lived for in my life <clears throat> to be a waffler <laughs> and to pay fifty dollars a month to be with you guys <laughs> just uh, seems just perfect. Uh, for me. Right. The best thing is uh, just being on the boat and if you could just only see us out here, I mean the water is beautiful blue, the sky is up, you know, we just had fantastic weather the whole time and you, you can't beat sailing. Right. If you love sailing, this is the way to do it. Now as a group, do you feel like, as we, we did a lot of prep for this journey, do you feel like we missed anything in our preparation? Like once we got out here, we're like, oh we should have done this. There are only my new little things. No, we it, all the major bases are covered. Safety, uh, you know, knowledge, um, uh, training, uh, right. where everything is. Nobody knows what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we got a great cook too. I just want to give a round of applause yeah. to our, uh, our uh, cook, Bill. That's, that's, that's actually going to be a podcast. Job. That's going to be a podcast episode unto itself. Ah. But uh, Bob, I just want to touch back because I think while I was, uh, I know that when we passed around Cape Hatteras. Mentioned something about an abandoned lighthouse just as a point of interest. Can you uh, can you tell me about that? Sure. Let me, let me just have a, a slurp of my scotch while I'm at the helm. 
good. Yeah, so there's a uh, Cape Hatteras lighthouse, uh, which I think was built about a hundred years ago. It's since been abandoned as a man lighthouse. There's quite a history of succession of lighthouses or uh, um, towers, unmanned lighthouses built off of Cape Hatteras over the last couple, two and a half centuries, which have quite quickly been destroyed in major, major storms. And uh, this area of the uh, Atlantic is known as the graveyard of the Atlantic. It's the most wrecks over the centuries of any, any cape in the Atlantic and one of the top, I believe, three in the world for considered most treacherous. Uh, and that uh, primarily is because of the, how close the Gulf Stream comes to Cape Hatteras. It can come within about 15, 20 miles and of course the Cape juts out about uh, 10, 12, 15 miles of shallow sand and in the olden days nobody really knew that or knew quite exactly where they were and if you have a north or northeast wind and you have the the current being in opposition to that the current from the Gulf Stream can easily be two, two and a half, three, perhaps even more against so you can get extremely steep, treacherous waves they've even been described as uh, looking like standing waves rapids and not many options back out to the stream or you know heading east and the other issue that makes this very treacherous is that the barrier islands of North Carolina are only several feet high there aren't any trees on them because of the the hurricanes have passed so you can especially at night come up onto these sandy beaches islands that have very little uh, light on them even to this day uh, and and not recognize it so there's been I believe charts that show well over 600 shipwrecks in this part of the North Carolina Cape Hatteras area and we're hoping not to add to that so far we seem to be doing quite well so uh, and we just want to give a special thanks to uh, Clive Greaves he's been our dedicated support staff uh, for uh, sending us weather reports on our Delorme uh, inReach, and uh, and so um, I think that ends this episode. We thank you all for listening, and we'll be talking to. I think, uh, as I said, you know, uh, we'll certainly touch base again uh, shortly.